All right, I'd like you to take your Bibles this morning to Jeremiah 33.3, unless you have a stack of papers that you've been asked to pass out. While those of you are uh, uh, turning your Bibles, I'd like you to answer this one-question survey. Go ahead and start handing those out, if you would, fellas. Uh, Listen, it's just a simple question that they're handing out. How often do you spend praying every day? I'm not talking about the times over your meal that you're thanking God for the food and asking Him to bless it to your body. Some of y'all need to quit asking Him to bless it to your body. I'm not talking about the times where your brakes go all the way to the ground and your car isn't stopping and you send an arrow prayer begging God uh, to stop your car or, in the case of this uh, testimony, keep your wheel on. I'm talking about dedicated time that you set aside every single day and put it that time into your prayer closet. Now, don't put your name on there. I don't want any identifying marks on it. You can wait until the end of the service uh, to fill that out. I would just ask you, I beg you to answer it honestly. Be honest with God. Be honest with yourself. Don't say, I'd like to spend this amount of time in prayer. Be honest with the time that you do Spend in prayer. You can fold it in half so your neighbor doesn't see it. Uh, But I I just would like to have a survey of what I would consider the cream of the crop. Those young men and young women, the faculty and staff that God has assembled here, and see what kind of prayer life in general we have. If you'll do that, there's baskets here on the front. There's baskets in the back, and uh, I'm not going to be dusting them for fingerprints, but I would like to have an honest appraisal, and I'll share the results with Dr. Beal, and anyone that's interested uh, will be able to get those results from him. I'd like to ask this question. How many of you have ever traveled via airplane? Wow, okay. Let me ask this way. Anybody not travel via airplane? All right, very good. Okay, that's all right. If you've traveled... You've had to check luggage. How many of you here this morning has ever had your luggage lost? Wow, I am absolutely amazed to see that many people. You realize that the airline industry handles northward of 400 million bags of luggage every year. That's more plus 100 million of people that live in the United States. It's just astounding. But, as demonstrated by the hands that were raised, they sometimes lose that luggage. They actually lose less than one half of one percent. But when you're talking about those kinds of numbers, that's still two million bags a year that they lose. Now, of that two million bags, 95% of those are returned to their owner within the first 48 hours. But there is a small percentage of those bags that are never claimed, somewhere between 50 and 100,000 items or pieces of luggage that are unclaimed, never returned to their owners. You know what happens with those bags? They're sold to a business in Scottsboro, Alabama called the Unclaimed Baggage Center. 
The business sells items that were left unclaimed at airlines. They can be purchased, uh, I don't know about at at a fraction of the cost. They're usually 30 to 40% off of retail, but they're used. Uh, They have everything from very high-end expensive watches. I found a camera that was on sale for $800. I had to go find out if this is supposed to be on sale, how much did it cost? It's a $1,500 camera for $800. If you think $800 is a good deal, we need to talk after school, all right? Uh, They have clothing, sporting equipment, anything you could probably want, uh, they would have it. They have a huge warehouse that if you're in that area, you can go and walk through like a Sam's Club. And according to the store's website, over one million items pass through the store annually. And of course, they make millions of dollars uh, on those items that used to belong to somebody else. That's tragic, isn't it? To lose your stuff and have it sold to somebody else. Let me tell you something that is even more tragic and more costly than a lost luggage that's sold on some discount website. It's all of the unclaimed answers to prayer that we leave in the unclaimed blessings department in heaven. I'm not here to convince you this morning that prayer is important. I'm not here to convince you today that You need to pray. Intellectually, each and every one of you already knows that. You know what I want to convince you of this morning? I want to convince you that by not praying, you are missing out on God's blessings. We're selfish people. But I believe even as Christians, if we could get the idea that there's something good about prayer, that could ignite something in your life that will start a prayer journey that will last the rest of your life. You see, prayer is the gateway that leads to to, to God's hand of blessing. Now, I'm just telling you what I heard from Pastor Jim, not not Pastor Jim Ogle. I'm talking about the first pastor of the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem. James chapter 2 says, Ye have not because ye ask not. Our problem is not unanswered prayer. Our problem is unasked prayer. You know, prayer is vital. It's vital for the believer to be successful in spiritual warfare. The believer has not even begun to fight until they get on their knees. Prayer shouldn't be an afterthought to the believer uh, that that, that thinks they, well, listen, I I have the arsenal of spiritual warfare and and I have prayer. It's not an afterthought. Prayer is the way the believer implements his spiritual weapons against the enemy. Listen, it's through faith that we appropriate our armor and the spiritual weapons that God has given to us, but it is through prayer that they are put into action. You know, far too many Christians, and I fear even those that are studying for the ministry, they use prayer as a last resort. When everything else uh, fails, we say, I can't do anything else. I guess I might as well pray. For some people, it's it's just a way of getting things from God. Here's my uh, uh, grocery list, God. Have it ready for me when I come to pick it up. But I'll tell you, when you begin to understand the purpose and the power of prayer, prayer will become a mighty weapon in and of itself. Ian Bounds said this, prayer is the great universal force to advance God's causes. 
We talked a little bit about this last night in our church service, but I want to ask you this question. Do you believe that God has ordained prayer as a means whereby he will do things through men and women that he would not do if they did not pray? That's a huge theological implications that come along with that question. Understand that. But I'll tell you this, I believe God has obligated himself to answer the prayer of his children. Why? Because he has promised to do so. Not because we're putting God in a box, but because he has placed himself in the position that he says, when you pray, I will hear and answer. As a matter of fact, he's promised to give you whatever you ask for. If you ask for the right things. John 14, 13 and 14 says, and whatsoever you shall ask, listen, In my name. Now, that doesn't mean just tacking the name of Christ at the end of a prayer. It means asking in the character of who Christ is. He says, you'll ask anything in my name. That will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. When you pray according uh, to God's will, he is glorified and he says he will answer that. Verse 14 says, if you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, let's look at the text, verse 1 of chapter 33. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah the second time, while he was yet shut up in the court of the prison, saying, Thus saith the Lord, the maker thereof, the Lord that formed it to establish it. The Lord is his name. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. When we come to the text, we we realize that the nation of Israel had continually sinned against God. They had followed after false gods. They had ignored the Sabbath. There were so many things, and they were now reaping the judgment from God for those sins. And despite all of his efforts to warn the people about the coming Babylonian captivity and how they should prepare to face it, they refused to listen to Jeremiah, and they were going to suffer in their captivity. In the year 586 B.C., when the Babylonians arrived and laid siege to the city of Jerusalem, Jeremiah was arrested and placed in the prison court. He remained there until the kingdom of Judah fell to the Babylonians. And according to verse 1 we just read, it was at that bleak moment while Jeremiah was confined within the prison that the comforting call of God came to him. You know, just that first verse, the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah while he was yet shut up in the court of the prison. This is paraphrased from something Matthew Henry once said. There's an important lesson that we can learn from this. While solid walls, locks and bars and other barriers may be able to shut us, shut us off completely from the world, none of them can shut out God. Nothing can ever prevent our souls from coming to his throne of grace. Jeremiah was in prison because he had faithfully passed God's message on to the king that the enemy was going to succeed and the city of Jerusalem was going to fall. You know, the king didn't like that kind of negative preaching. He probably called it hate speech. Jeremiah was charged with spreading disinformation. And then he was arrested and put under guard. Young men, 
Listen, if you're going to preach the truth to your generation and the generations to follow so long as the Lord tarries, you had better understand that there are going to be people that do not like the message that you have to preach. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you, our Lord said. Don't you dare dampen or dilute the message that God has given in his word. Don't you dare water it down so it isn't offensive. You don't be offensive. Don't let the messenger be offensive. But you let that message be as offensive to a person as God wants it to be. Preach the word, Paul told Timothy. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. I don't wonder if we're living in those times right now. But after their own lusts, they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. You realize, just as an aside, it's not in my notes, but you realize that the false teachers of today, the ones with the, the, the mega churches that are preaching a false gospel, I believe they'll be judged, the preachers will, but do you realize that is God's judgment on those people? Don't you be God's judgment on somebody because you're not preaching truth. Look at verse 3 of Jeremiah 33. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. I want to very quickly give you three truths about prayer from this passage. The priority of prayer, the promise of prayer, and the potential of prayer. Let us first look at the priority of prayer. I used to think that this verse was a generous invitation by God who wanted to spend some time with me, his child. Some people treat it that way, as though God is saying, call me if you need me. Call me if you have the time. Call me if you feel like it. But that's not the idea that is given here at all. Call unto me is a command. This verb is in the imperative. Now, imperative is just another word that means it's an order. It means he's not inviting us if we have time. He is ordering us to make the time. It's less like your dad telling you to call when you have a free minute and more like your parole officer that says you'd better call every day at 3 (laughs) o'clock. Prayer is not a request in this passage. It's not a suggestion from God. Prayer is an act of loving obedience. Think about the theological ramifications of that. That's an amazing truth. I mean, if we were to build and staff a hospital right over here in Lattimore and we gave free service, that thing would fill up. Do you think that we would have to pass an ordinance that says if you're not feeling well, you must go to the hospital? You say, that's ridiculous. You don't have to pass an ordinance to send somebody to do what is best for them. I mean, if we had a soup kitchen in, in, uh, at Maranatha, do you think I'd go to the city council and say, listen, if anybody's hungry, pass a law that says they have to come to our soup kitchen. That's ridiculous. I mean, that's foolishness. If somebody's hungry and you're giving away free food, they're going to be there. No one thinks we need an ordinance compelling those who are hungry to come get free food from a soup kitchen. So it seems strange to me that we need a command to find supernatural help. 
to get supernatural answers in, in a difficult uh, a time or to difficult questions, to get enabling power to accomplish God's will for our lives, to find comfort in the midst of difficulties. But our gracious, benevolent, heavenly Father, He gives us this directive, this command out of love. He knows that we would rather die of spiritual starvation and do it on our own rather than come to the banquet of prayer. You know, what are we telling God when we don't pray? It's simple. I can do it myself. I I heard tell of a, a young boy Uh, who was trying to clean up a part of his yard. He was building a fort there. And he came across a a big rock. He might have lived in Tennessee. I don't know. He's trying to move this thing, and his dad's over there sitting in his chair just watching him. And his daddy calls out. He says, son, are you using all your might? And that kid's grunting. I mean, he's only probably seven or eight years old. And and he says, dad, I'm using all my might. Dad watches him for a little bit, and He hadn't made any progress on this big stone. And his father kind of eggs him on again a little bit. He says, are you using all your strength, son? And the boy says, dad, I'm about out of strength. Why don't you come over and help me move this rock? His dad got up with very little difficulty, picked that rock up and moved it out of the way of his son. He said, boy, you didn't even begin to use your strength until you asked me for help. And my friends, you have not even begun to use the power and the strength that God has available to you until you ask him for it. He says, call unto me. We must see God as the only answer to our prayer. The word call here carries the idea to call out or even shout. And when we become desperate for answers, when we need God like we need oxygen, then we're going to cry out to God like blind Bartimaeus, Jesus, thou son of David! No, quiet down. Oh, no, I'm not quieting down. I need something from him. Only he can give that to me. Prayers work. I hope each one of you have a daily quiet time of Bible reading. Maybe for some of you it's taken some time. Maybe some of you grew up in a Christian home and and you were uh, inculcated in a a home where that was just expected, and that's good. That's a good habit to have. But maybe for some of you, you've had to work at that, getting a a time of day every day that you're going to spend in your your Bible. Listen, you've got to have that if you're going to grow as a Christian. But that's easy compared to praying. You see, reading your Bible is passive. All your eyes have to do is just cross over the words and let your brain tell you what it's saying. But you have to be actively engaged in prayer. And I'll tell you, that kind of mental work is hard. Not only is it mental work, it's spiritual warfare. How many of you are like Epaphras? Colossians 4.12 says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for prayer, for you in prayers, that ye may stand perfect and complete at the will of God. God calls it labor, fervent labor. Pastor Jim reminds us that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Can I give you an example of what fervent prayer is not? 
Lord, bless the missionaries. Lord, bless the pastor. Lord, help my day to be a good day. Give me a good day today. What is that? How do we know if God answered that? If you're in a good mood at the end of the day? Have you ever thanked him for a good day after you've prayed for it for the last week? I'm just saying that there's no engagement there. There's no thought. There's no fervency. There's no specificity. I find it interesting that even though Christ was the greatest preacher this world has ever seen. Not only was he the greatest preacher, he was a master teacher. He's the greatest teacher this world has ever seen. He did things miraculously that no person had ever done and has ever done since that day. He walked on water. He healed the blind, the lame, the sick. When the disciples asked him to teach them something, it wasn't how to walk on water. Lord, how do you do that? It wasn't how can I be a better preacher? He didn't ask for a homiletics class. He didn't say, Lord, how can I be a more effective teacher? Luke chapter 11, they go to the Lord and they say, Lord, teach me to pray. Teach me to pray. You know what they're saying? This is a priority. God says, make it a priority in your life. That ought to be our petition. Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus prayed before sunrise in Mark 1.35. I'm not going to take time to read each one of these verses, although uh, they are powerful in themselves. He prayed after others had gone to sleep. So he rose before others to pray, and he was praying when they had gone to sleep in Matthew 26, 40. He prayed in the wilderness when he was alone and under great temptation. He spent an entire night in prayer before choosing the 12 apostles, before he had to make serious decisions, uh, humanly speaking. Uh, Did you know that Jesus prayed at his baptism? We had a baptism at our church yesterday. I wasn't sure I'm ready for him to pray publicly yet. I'm just kidding. He would have done a great job. But he prayed at his baptism. Every aspect of his life was filled with prayer. It was while he was praying that they were up on the Mount of Transfiguration and his glory was shown. He prayed when he was in agony of soul in Luke twenty-two forty-four. He even prayed while in physical agony on the cross, not for himself, but for those who crucified him. You know, it's no wonder that the disciples begged him, Lord, teach us to pray. If Jesus put that kind of priority on prayer, how much more should we as frail, mortal, spiritual weaklings spend on our knees? How much can we learn from his prayer life? You know, most most management books that you read will tell you the importance of prioritizing your day. Excuse me. I came across one and said this, identify what you need to do, should do, and want to do. And focus first on the task that you must do that day. You ought to live your life according to a to-do list so you know what's coming up, so you can organize your time. But I'll tell you, we fill our day with all sorts of things, but we 
deprioritize prayer. Well, I didn't get up early enough. What you've said is sleep is more important than my time with God. Well, I, I, I just ran out of time. It's time for lights out. No, what you've said is Facebook is more important than my time with God or whatever it might be that you're spending in place of that time you could have spent time with God. You see, our silence speaks volumes to God. Christian, when you're prayerless, you're not only powerless, you are disobedient. Set a time. Set a time to meet with the creator of the universe every single day. Like you would keep an appointment with the president of the United States. You wouldn't be late to that appointment. God is more powerful and I think probably more interesting to talk to. (laughs) Call unto me. Make it a priority because God demands it. We've just barely scratched the surface of making it a priority in your life. But I want to move on from the priority of prayer to the promise of prayer. Call unto me and I will answer. That's the promise. I will answer. You know what that means? If God is going to answer, it first means that he must first listen. He hears our prayer. He orders us to come to him, but then he promises that he is going to listen to us. What a wonderful promise that God has given to us. Jeremiah, back in uh, uh, chapter 29, verse 12, right after he says, the thoughts that I think towards you, thoughts of peace and not of evil, he says, then shall ye call on me and ye shall go and pray to me and I will hearken unto you. Have you ever been pocket dialed? I have. You ever sit there and listen to see what uh, someone's going to be talking about without them knowing? I haven't recorded too many of those, but. What happens when you answer a pocket dial? I know you feel dumb. Hello? Hello? Can you hear me? Is anybody there? Hello? You know, when you answer that call, you might, for a few minutes or for a moment, try to get that person's attention to see if there's somebody on the other side of the line. But how long are you going to keep talking to someone that isn't listening? I mean, not very long. You may listen, but, but you're not going to be the one talking. You don't start talking about your day and what you had for lunch and, and a, a special Bible verse that spoke to you that day. You're not going to say those things to somebody that's not listening. You say that for Facebook. Well, let me tell you, nobody's listening. Nobody cares on there either. Now, here's my point. No one is going to make a call and talk to someone that's not on the other line. I'm so thankful that God is always on the line. But I don't wonder if that's why there's such a vacuum in the quality of prayer time that some of you may have. You just don't believe it's going to make any difference because you're convinced God doesn't hear you. And for some of you, you're right. Psalm 66, 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, The Lord will not hear me. If I regard iniquity, God's not going to hear me. He says the same thing in Isaiah 59. He says in in verse 1 and 2, he says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy, meaning he uh, he can hear you, that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you so that he will not here. doesn't say that he can't. 
He's not impotent. He's not strong. He's not weak. He's not in a place where he could not hear, but he says he will not hear. And I fear there are some of you today that need to repent of sin that has kept you out of your prayer closet. You don't pray because you know you don't have direct access to God. Do you know that if you have a cell phone, even one that's old, deactivated, no longer has a plan to it, uh, I, I mean, uh, even as a poor college student, you might just have some old cell phone that you're hoping you can connect to Wi-Fi somewhere. Do you know even if you don't have Wi-Fi, you can make one call as long as there's power in that phone? You can call 911, emergency services. There's a federal law passed several years ago that every phone, whether they have a plan or not, every tower is free, and you can make one call for help. Can I tell you, the same is true. When you have sin in your life, there's only one call that will get through to God, and that is of repentance and, uh, and godly sorrow, asking God to forgive you. You can always dial 1 John 1, 9 and open up direct communication with the emergency services of heaven. But let me tell you, we shouldn't wait until there's a major problem in our life to run to 1 John 1, 9. We shouldn't get to the place where we say, oh, oh man, I, I, I don't have enough money to, to pay my school bill. Uh, I need to pray. Oh, well, I've got to get right with God. Then I'll pray. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to come back next semester. I have some family issues that are going on. And, and boy, I'd like to pray, but I, I need to get right with God first. And I've, got, I've only studied for five hours for Dr. Spencer's test this afternoon. And now I don't have enough time to get right with God and pray that he's going to help me to remember those answers. Listen, you, you don't know when you need that direct line. I've been in situations where I've gotten a phone call. Would you pray for so-and-so? They're on the way to the hospital. Or somebody's in an operation or surgery. The last thing that they're hoping I'm going to do is sort through my garbage before I can go to the throne room of grace. My friends, keep short account of sin and have direct access to God. In August, 30, uh, August 30th, 1963, John F. Kennedy became the first U.S. president to have a direct phone line to the Kremlin in Moscow. The hotline, as it was called, was a direct, uh, was a designated to facilitate communication between the president and the Soviet premier. Now, the establishment of the hotline came about because it was after the wake of the, the, the Kremlin uh, in October 1962, the, the Cuban Missile Crisis, in which the U.S. and USSR had come dangerously close to an all-out nuclear war. I hope you've read about that at some point. Kennedy's administration had discovered that the Soviets had planted missiles capable of launching nuclear warheads onto the U.S. mainland and can't, uh, on the island of Cuba. They sent ships out, and I'm not going to get into the whole details of it, but there was a highly uh, tense diplomatic exchange that followed, but it was plagued by delays. Every communication took at least six hours to get from the Kremlin to the U.S. and the U.S. back to the Kremlin. Six hours each way. And on one instance, the Kremlin, Russia, had sent a message to the U.S. 
and it's encoded, and it has to transfer all the way to get to the Pentagon or get to the White House or wherever, and they had to decode it. It took 12 hours, and before they had decoded that and were able to get a message back, the Soviets had taken a more stern and harsh position. So that was a time when clear, direct communication was needed to de-escalate a major world conflict. I just want to remind you that you have a direct line of communication to a far superior world leader than that of the Kremlin or the Pentagon. You have direct access by the blood of Christ to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And what's more, you have access 24 hours a day. He hears you. That's the promise of prayer, that he is going to hear you. I will answer you. He can't answer if he's not listening. But he's promised to be listening. And the only thing that would prevent him from answering is if you're not talking to him. What are the possible answers to prayer? You know this. Yes, no, not now, or wait. I absolutely love when he says yes. Isn't that the best? That's the great. You ought to bask in those times. It's right in the will of God. And when it is the will of God, he says yes every time. But sometimes I ask amiss because I want it for my glory instead of God's. Or I want it for my pleasure. Or I want to consume it upon my lusts. Pastor Jim would say it this way that we ask amiss because we want to consume it on our lusts. And so God says, no. And there's been times that I've prayed for something and the Spirit of God has made it clear that I can just cross that off my list. The answer is no. And sometimes I understand that that, that wasn't for God's glory and, and I say, why, why is He just giving me the sense that, that I don't need to pray for this anymore? Sometimes... He just says, trust me to know what's best for you. And this would not be good for you. You just cross it off. That's the answer. No. He's not going to move on that. But sometimes he says, not now. He says, wait. He doesn't say no. So like the impertinent neighbor or the widow that just wears that judge out until he finally does something just to get her off his back, we ought to just keep coming back to him over and over and over again. Let him decide when. not unanswered prayer. It's unasked prayer. We have the priority of prayer. We have the promise of prayer. We have the potential of prayer. You know, the potential of answered prayer is only limited by what you're asking for. Look at the last part of this verse. And show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. He promises to give Jeremiah things that are great. This is great in magnitude. Uh, uh, these are things that, that are mighty things. You know, that, those words, mighty things, it's an interesting uh, turn of phrase. It carries the idea of something that is inaccessible. It's translated in several other places as a wall around a city. It's translated that way in our King James Bible. And the idea is this, that Jeremiah could not access or assail this information without God giving it to him. It was new knowledge. It was something he did not know before. But because Jeremiah called out to God 
and God's promise of, of hearing and responding to that, the answer was something great. And that which was inaccessible was made known. Now, I believe in Jeremiah 33.3, the answer is specific to Jeremiah. After revealing further judgment in verses 4 and 5, God speaks words of comfort to Jeremiah. I think verse 3 is the promise of revelation that he is about to give. We don't get revelation today. Verses 6 through 9 are going to bring comfort to Jeremiah, in which case he's going to be able to bring that comfort to the nation of Israel. But the principle of prayer is the same. God tells us to pray, then he promises to listen, and he answers. And when the answer is yes, the potential of prayer is, as I said, limited only by the request of the person giving it. But here's a tragedy. This is an old survey. I have a hard time finding newer information sometimes. But I fear it hasn't gotten better over time. Barnard Research indicated that although 85% of Americans claim to pray in a given week, only 58% pray more than once a day. And then the average of that prayer is only five minutes long. You know what's amazing to me? We, we sing praises to God, and rightly so, we should. He deserves that. We, we proclaim to the world that, that He is all-powerful and, and all-knowing and, and He is present at, at all places at all times. Then the first thing we do is we go out and we try to do everything without Him. We suffer from a radical case of self-sufficiency. We believe He created the world in six days. But we fail to ask Him to help us to pay for our school bill. We say we believe that he cares, but we don't go to the trouble of soliciting his help. And he's given us promises like Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. Ask, and it shall be given. Seek, and he shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. I alluded to this earlier, but in the same context that Jeremiah was going to receive some new knowledge, God's promised us wisdom, divine insight. When we don't know which way to go or what the decision should be, when either side is not going to break a biblical principle and either way we go might be okay, and we say, I'm just not sure. He says through Pastor Jim, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. That give it to all men liberally and upbraideth not. He's not going to chastise you for asking for wisdom. He's telling us and he's commanded us to go to him. And it shall be given him. God answers prayer. Do you need peace? Then pray. Do you need power in your life? Then pray. Do you have a need that no one in the world knows about? Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do you need comfort, strength, encouragement? Then pray. I'm just asking you this morning to be honest with yourself. Don't look in the mirror and say, this is what I'm going to be someday. Because you're going to be tomorrow what you are becoming today. Be honest. 
not only with yourself, but with God. Can you honestly say that you make prayer a priority? Don't say yes intellectually. I want you to review the last seven days of your life and think how much time, quality time, have I spent praying fervently in my prayer closet with God? If you're embarrassed by that, then do something about it. Make it a priority. Maybe you have some sin in your life. You say, oh, I believe God would hear me, but I I feel that when I pray, He's 10,000 miles away. The promise is that He hears, but He refuses to listen when we harbor sin. Maybe some of you need to repent of something in your life today. I don't have a list of sins, but if you ask the Holy Spirit, God, what is preventing my prayers from reaching the courtroom of heaven? Or the throne room of heaven, excuse me. The Holy Spirit will shine a spotlight on that in a heartbeat because He wants you to be right with God. The priority of prayer, the promise of prayer, and the potential of prayer. Maybe your prayers are a little too small. You serve a big God. Maybe the answer will be no, but it might just be yes. You'll not know until you spend some time talking with him and asking, petitioning, getting to know your God. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and I will show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not.